Welcome back to another episode of the SarahCast, Conversations in Social-Emotional Learning. We've all been adjusting to life in a pandemic, which for me has brought the same difficult decisions so many families are facing. Whether to send our daughter back to school, whether she should stay at home, whether we should form a pod with other families in the neighborhood. The questions about going back to school and juggling the unknowns of physical health and COVID-19 alongside the loss in social-emotional development academic outcomes, and socialization when keeping kids home are overwhelming for all of us. I cannot imagine a harder time to be a parent. We're also really missing so many of the activities and practices that kept us alive pre-pandemic. For me, I need to regularly take dance class or I feel stale and stagnant. Taking dance class in my living room via YouTube just is not the same. Navigating decisions about school reopening isn't easy, but it's more fun alongside leaders who think about social emotional wellness and creative expression at the core of what we do. I recently had the opportunity to speak with David Adams, the Senior Director of Strategy at Urban Assembly, to discuss SEL considerations for reopening schools, break down the three C's of relationship building, the power of creative expression as a vehicle for social emotional skill development and humanity at large, and our own personal journeys in the arts. He has a powerhouse of knowledge when it comes to social-emotional wellness, and I hope you walk away from our conversation with some actionable ideas to better support your life. So today I am here with David Adams, the current Senior Director of Strategy at Urban Assembly. Congratulations, David. I understand that's all for you. Yes, and it is. Former, I appreciate it. And former Director of Social Emotional Learning, which is the role where we were first introduced through our good friend who's also been on the podcast, Dr. Maurice Elias. Um, can we start, David, by you telling us a little bit about yourself and your journey within education? Sure. Uh, so I'm David Adams, as you said, I'm currently the senior director of strategy at the Urban Assembly. Um, I started off my um, my educational experience at Rutgers University, uh, working with Dr. Maurice Elias in his Rutgers um, character education lab, uh, where I was kind of introduced to the notion of social and emotional learning and its role um, in facilitating problem solving for students. Um, from there, I went off to the Center for Social and Emotional Education, um, which was now the National School Climate Center. I uh, spent about two years there. I moved on to Yale Center for Emotional Intelligence, which was then the Health and Emotional Behavior Lab uh, with Dr. Mark Brackett. I spent about a year there. Um, and then I spent five years in District 75 as their Social and Emotional Learning Coordinator. Um, moved on to the Urban Assembly where uh, we focused on uh, developing social-emotional skills for students in high school. Um, and currently, am the Senior Director of Strategy. So exciting, and congrats again. And uh, David is also based in New York City, where we are in this world. How have you been handling, managing life in the pandemic? I heard some young children in the background before we got started. I also had two small girls at home, so I know how hard it is to be doing really important work that demands so much of you while also needing to be present for your family. Yeah, I appreciate that, Sarah. Um, I'm blessed with a, a wife who is very supportive and loving and caring. Um, my wife and Tamika and I actually just celebrated our 10th anniversary, so like, congratulations! Pop up there. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> Congrats. Um, 
So, yeah, I mean, I, I am from, uh, uh, Urban Assembly is based in New York, but I actually am from New Jersey, so I, I live in New Jersey. Um, and so, you know, I think we've been working through some of the same challenges everybody else has uh, with regards to the pandemic. Um, thinking about balancing work and life, uh, creating opportunities for students, uh, for my kids to socialize um, while keeping them safe. Um, and and just trying to think about what it means to have school um, when we can't actually be physically present and interact in ways that support students' academic uh, development as well as their social emotional functioning. So I think we're all kind of thinking about the same kinds of things. Um, again, I'm blessed to have a wonderful family who's been extremely supportive um, and has helped us to uh, create some solutions to that um, through the quality of their support and their and their care. So. Uh, I just feel very blessed in the moment. Thank you for sharing. And I hope that we can all kind of take your um, positive words of inspiration with us as we move through the challenges to come. So acknowledging that uh, we're preparing for the start of the school year or school is underway for some and all the stress that that entails. Let's go ahead and center ourselves in this conversation. We'll do a quick embodied shake off. So okay. shake off is an opportunity for us to release the stress, the tension that we are carrying that I'm sure you are carrying so far. I'm carrying in my day. Um, and this will allow us to be more present to our conversation. So we'll start by shaking off with our left hand. Uh, let's just go ahead and shake off four, three, two, one, or then our right hand, four, three, two, one. Let's squeeze our whole body, four, three, two, one, and relax, four, three, two, one. And then we'll count down, three, two, one, three, two, one, tighten our body, three, two, one, three, two, one. When we get down to one, 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 let's take a collective inhale. And then when we exhale, let's just release with a sound, whatever tension or stress we want to excavate from our bodies and minds. For All right. Discussion. All right, here we go. We're counting down from okay. four. I got you. All right. Four, three, two, one. Four, three, two, one. Four, three, two, one. Four, three, two, one. 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 Two, one. Two, one. Two, one. Two, one. One, 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 one. Deep breath in. And let's just exhale all the distractions and stress. <sighs> all right. Thank you, David. I appreciate you joining me in that centering moment so that we can be more present for each other. Enjoy so, the experience. Thank you. <laughs> um, so tell me a little bit about your favorite memory from your time in the classroom. I know that's how you started. Yeah. So I, I, I was thinking about this idea. Um, and... I grew up in Union, New Jersey, um, which is a town here. And um, my brother is about two years older than me. And my uh, older brother is about four years younger than me. Um, and I can certainly think of, like my favorite memories have to be um, when I was playing uh, as a musician. And I was like in, I played in the pit orchestra for the different kind of musical plays. And, um, and this ability as a musician to, to have a really clear task that you're trying to accomplish um, have somebody give you really explicit feedback around your strengths and challenges at that task, and then watch yourself improve over time. Um, that's that was the thing that I, I felt like really kind of characterized my early education um, and in high school as well. I was an army musician for about twelve years um, as well. But this is that process of like 
knowing what it is that I could do better, um, getting really clear feedback, and then being able to incorporate that feedback and being able to see the product of that work uh, was something that I felt like really characterized um, my experience in education and uh, sits in my memories today. Do you think it's interesting you talk about feedback and that has come up a lot in conversations I've had recently, even with members of my team, the importance of not being afraid of feedback and mm. in many ways seeking feedback because yeah. when we receive feedback, we get better at our craft. And if we recognize that feedback comes comes from a place of care and love for us as people and our potential, then we can view it very differently. Um, I'm curious, do you think that that was ingrained in you through the uh, work uh, as a musician and, and that that is kind of baked into the creative arts? Or do you think that that was um, instilled in you somewhere else in your, in your journey? I, I mean, I think it's a, it's a combination. I think what the creative arts do, even if you think about dance or you have a mirror, Right. So you just have this really clear feedback cycle. You have a model. This is what this should look like, right? You have an instructor that says, you know, this is what it looks like. And then you have a, a, a mirror that says, you know, I don't have to lie to myself. The mirror is telling me how well I'm, I'm matching that, that, that model. Um, so I think a variety of things has helped me, have helped me to kind of build that muscle. Um, you know, one thing is that I am not afraid of being embarrassed. Uh, <laughs> which I think is inherent in the feedback process. You have to sure. have a little bit sense of humbleness to be able to ask for feedback and to improve. Um, but I do think that the arts uh, give us that, that idea because the, the end state, the task is so clear. There is a way to do this. Now, you can incorporate this and do it in different ways, but there is a form, there is a, um, an app, it's not an ideal. There's an ideal that we can aspire to. Um, and, and we can get better towards that ideal through practice. I think there are few kind of situations in life where the clarity of um, the importance of practice is um, as obvious as the arts, right? Um, because you, ha you do things, you practice, you get feedback and you get better. So I think it's a combination of things. Um, I think the arts has been a really important uh, part of my life. Uh, it teaches you how to persevere. It teaches you how to set goals. Um, it teaches you that there's somebody better than you, no matter how good you are. Um, it teaches you the difference between talent and hard work. Um, uh, and it teaches you how to um, understand your own strengths and challenges and, and how to improve those things, not because you want to be better than the next guy, as it were, but because you want to master the thing that you think is important. That's right. So given your background in music and in social emotional learning, what role do you see the arts playing in cultivating social emotional skills in us as adults and in our children? Wow, that's a great question. Um, so the arts, I think, um, are the experience of what it means to be human. Um, if you think about, you know, literature and Literature says, you know, we're trying to tap into some sort of universal human experience through the, 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 the written word. Um, the arts are universal human experience, right? Whether it's mm -hmm. dance, whether it's music, whether it's painting. Um, and the things that connect us as humans are our emotional kind of um, understanding of the world. One of the things I've learned, I think, in my, my career to this, to this time is that I think people thought that a cognitive experience of the world was the predominant kind of way that we understand ourselves and others. 
Um, and whether it's politics, um, whether it's relationships, um, or whether it's music, I think I've come to understand uh, it's the social and emotional kind of context. The social and emotional um, lens is actually the one that we really truly experience ourselves in the world. Um, and the arts are, are part and parcel of that social and emotional lens, right? Most arts are done in some sort of social aspect, whether it's for, whether we do it in, in, in a social context, like music, or we do it for others to appreciate, right? Like, like the painted art. There is really a difficult um, way. There's no way that you can create art without some sort of notion of the social, right? Um, and then when you think about the emotional, that common experience, that thing that allows you and me to, to listen to a piece and have a similar reaction, that's that universal emotional space. Um, so when we're thinking about the role that arts play, it's about tapping into these things for our students because not everybody has a formal experience of social emotional learning yet, uh, mm -hmm. where they're able to really think through their emotional space, um, how that's impacting what they want to accomplish. Uh, but there is that idea that when you're tapping into the arts, Students are relating to each other through this, this work. Um, and that gives them freedom to step outside themselves and to experience something that they may not have words with words for yet um, and experience it through that notion of written language, the arts, uh, the music. Um, and so I think, I just think that arts are an integral part of what it means to be human and the social emotional experience um, is what's foundational, foundational to humanity. I love that idea of um, the arts being an integral part of what it means to be human. I always talk about creative practices being inherently vulnerable in and of themselves. Mm -hmm. So when you're drawing, when you're writing, when you're creating movement, you are connecting your, to yourself more profoundly than you typically would cerebrally or understanding a deeper part of yourself that you may not have accessed before because we're out of our minds and often into our bodies. So um, I love that idea. Thank you. Um, I could have a whole separate conversation with you just about the arts, but I know we have other stuff we need to discuss. So if we have extra time, we'll get there. Um, Great. But David, you served as the social emotional learning coordinator for District 75, where you shaped the district's approach to social emotional learning for students. Can you tell us a little bit about that experience? What were some of the challenges your students and teachers were experiencing? Yeah, I mean, so uh, predominantly I was working with students classified as emotional and disturbed. Um, I also worked with students on the autism, autistic spectrum. Um, and so when we first got there, the predominant kind of methodology in which um, we understood students' um, behavioral lives or, or actions was through a behaviorist approach, right? A functional behavioralist assessment, um, excuse me, functional behavioralist assessment, uh, a behavior intervention plan. Um, and I think there is an important role for behaviorism uh, to play in understanding um, what drives and motivates students, um, whether or not they're classified as emotionally disturbed or for um, students on the autistic spectrum. Um, but I think there's a, a broader way of understanding uh, a student's livelihood. Um, and I think a social emotional framework uh, allows us to move from what are the student's needs, um, how are they communicating those needs to behaviors, uh, to, to understand like who is this student who I'm working with? What are their strengths and challenges as a, as a person? Um, and how do we develop those strengths um, in order to mitigate those challenges? So I think this idea that emotion plays a role in how students um, make decisions and how they solve problems. 
um, information processing in the context of emotional awareness um, plays a role. The skills students bring to bear um, on understanding their emotions and the perspective of others plays a role and those skills can be developed. Um, so I think when I first got there, there was this notion that each individual student needed to have a individual sense of their strengths and challenges through a behavioralist lens. Um, and we were able to think through a more bro uh, holistic universal approach that said all students have thoughts, feelings, um, and behaviors. Um, those things are all linked to each other. And if we can develop all of our students in terms of their ability to uh, solve problems, interact with themselves and others effectively, um, then their behavior will be in line with their ability to solve those problems. And we don't have to wait for them to, uh, ex uh, to demonstrate extreme behaviors um, to support our students. I think the other thing is on the autism uh, spectrum, I think um, it's surprising, but like many students on the autistic spectrum are lonely. Uh, they want to have social interaction. They struggle to understand some of the ideas and the fluencies and the problem-solving mechanisms of social interaction. But it's not to say that they don't want to interact with others. Um, and so from here, I think moving from a, a social skills um, a perspective where we're just teaching how to do things, how to you know interact with others, to a social problem-solving perspective, um, which is how do I understand the, the norms of a situation and use those understandings to guide my behavior um, was something that we, we, we pushed. Again, not every student has the capacity to get to 100%, um, but every student has a capacity to move a little bit further than from where they are. So I think if I left any legacy there at, uh, at District 75, and I hope I did, um, it's just knowing that there's a relationship between how people feel and what they do. Um, and that we can understand students um, in a broader way than uh, simply a, a functional behavioral assessment, um, understanding uh, behavior and communication um, and their, uh, what they want or what they want to get out of. I think there are deeper understandings of human behavior um, than the behaviorist approach would um, lead us to, to believe. Mm -hmm. Gorgeous. Did you encounter any resistance as you were um, implementing that initiative? Yeah, I think that... Um, there are students whose disabilities are obvious. Um, there are students whose disabilities are uh, out and front and present. And you would think that um, uh, in, a, in a program for students classified as emotional and behaviorally disturbed, um, that the emphasis would be on social skill or social emotional development. But in fact, the, the emphasis tended to be on behavioral uh, systems of control. Um, how do we create systems uh, that students can be motivated through rather than how do we develop the skills within the students that allow them to solve problems outside of the structures that we've built for them. Um, so the biggest, I think, uh, challenge is helping people to understand that our goal is not to educate students in the least, most restrictive environment in this context, District 75. Our goal is to help students to develop the types of skills and problem-solving approaches that allow them to move from our supports, which were developed in District 75, to a more general um, uh, education environment in which we didn't need those supports. Um, so I think that that's a difficult thing uh, because people would say, yeah, they're working really well under these contexts, under these uh, support conditions. And our goal is not for them to work really well in these contexts and support conditions, right? Our goal is to work well in the general education context in which they didn't have these robust behavioral systems that allow them to develop a sense of motivation. So I would think that's the biggest challenge. Um, I think on the, 
on the spectrum, um, on, on the context of autism and spectrum, um, is again, like our goal is not to create such um, comprehensive environments for our students that they don't have to experience difficulty, they don't have to experience challenge, um, that they'll never have a meltdown. Um, our goal is to develop the ability of our students to operate um, in, in independently to the extent they can in the real world. Um, right. So that means exposing them to some challenges. It means mm -hmm. switching up the schedule every now and then. Um, it means creating gradual release of responsibility from, from us as the staff to students um, as, as the learners so that they can go out and live in the world to their independence that they, that they can achieve. So I think the biggest challenge here is just recognizing that our schools are not designed to um, create compliance uh, mm -hmm. in the context of schooling. It is designed to help our students generalize concepts and skills on the social and emotional domain that they can use to solve problems in the real world. Gosh, David, this conversation is taking me down a completely different place than I would have thought because of the, um, just what you're sharing. So given that, what would you say to teachers, administrators who are preparing to return to school then in this environment that is so different than what they're used to um, with all of these inherent challenges? How would you approach, given what you just shared, how would you encourage them to approach their work? Well, I think, I mean, there's a couple of things that we need to be attended to. Um, the first thing is to understand that social and emotional skills, things like being able to set and achieve goals, being aware of your emotions, having a sense of responsibility, interacting, collaborating with each other. Um, these are skills for life. Um, and it's been apparent, I think, in schools who have shifted to virtual learning uh, when they understand that, wow, if I don't wake up, students are not, they're not getting up. Um, Students are having difficulty working on their own independently um, at a high school level in order to make progress. Those skills are skills that social and emotional learning will develop. So I would say the first thing is to really emphasize the processes that support learning, right? It's not a question of does the student understand this concept or not? Like my wife and I, when we had our kids home, my wife would say all the time, like, I know they can do this, David, but they don't really seem to be motivated, right? That's like the number one challenge in, in, in teaching. <laughs> it's like having students do what they, they can do with their potential, um, but they're not motivated to do either because they don't see purpose in the, 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 the task or they don't see purpose in the, in, in the instructor or the teacher. Um, but these skills are the types of skills that students will bring from them in terms of learning to actual problem solving in the real world. When we go out to jobs and to careers, we're going to be solving uh, uh, problems that require motivation on their own part, that require responsibility, that require our students uh, to be in collaboration. So I think the most important thing that we need to understand is delineating between, oh, what I want students to learn and how are students learning those things. Um, because the way that students learn in our schools are going to be the way that students learn in the real world. And that's what I think we need to be investing in students who are continually understanding the learning strengths and, and challenges so that when they go out in the real world and they have to solve problems that don't have equal signs on the end of them, uh, they are equipped to do so. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Stunning. Agreed. Well, thank you, Sarah. <laughs> Um, so your team at Urban Assembly also oversees the Resilient Scholars Program, which has been recognized yeah. as a reflection of social-emotional learning best practice in urban environments and can serve as a replicable model for schools and districts across the country. Can you tell us more about the program? And for schools who are just beginning this work, 
where would you recommend that they begin? Great. Yes. Thank you. Um, so the Resilience College program, um, it was born out of a collaboration with um, Devereaux um, Center for Resilience Children. Um, and now we work with Fordham University and Aperture Education um, to, to, to solve some really specific problems that we had seen in um, social emotional learning field. Uh, the first problem that we had seen is that this work predominantly is existing in the elementary and to, to and the middle school space to a lower, lower extent. Um, it hasn't really penetrated the high school sense, uh, space in, in a real way. Um, so that was the first problem we were solving for. Um, the second problem we were solving for was this concept of sustainability, uh, that the work around social emotional learning is often tied to a specific principal, a specific teacher, a specific uh, superintendent, rather than a systemic approach to teaching and learning in, in a district or a school. So we were, we were also looking to solve for that last problem. Um, and then lastly, we were looking to uh, think about the, the, the notion of implementation and um, what it means to implement things in ways that impact students' lives. Um, we know that the research around social emotional learning um, has strong background in terms of the efficacy of this work. Um, but when we look at schools, we see that they're struggling to translate that research into practical implementation strategies that impact students um, and teachers in ways that reflect some of the outcomes that are that are represented in the in the research literature. So the, the Urban Assembly Resilient Scholars Program um, is a model that is designed to solve for those three things, and we do it in three ways. Number one is we uh, we focus on scanning, um, understanding how uh, existing inputs into the school or to the district already support social emotional outcomes. So we look at the four domains of school life. We look at instructional practices, social emotional supports, behavioral supports, and extracurricular activities. And we map those on to social emotional outcomes like uh, self-awareness, students have a sense of their strengths and challenges. Or social management, students use effective communication skills to resolve problems. So the first thing we do is we help schools recognize that every school in the, in the country, if not the world, is doing things that impact the social emotional outcomes of students. The question is, how intentional are those practices and how can we help increase the intentionality so that we're doing them in ways that allow students to generalize these skills. Um, from that scan, uh, we produce a report uh, that allows schools and districts to plan. Um, and we plan around structures of um, feedback and we plan around structures of how ideas move through social systems, right? So. Um, one of the biggest uh, challenges I think with social and emotional learning is that we need to understand how the change management structures allow schools to move from an idea. Um, social and emotional learning is an important uh, uh, part of the teaching learning process to um, systems and structures that reflect that idea throughout the district or the school. So we invest a lot in these planning mechanisms that allow for an idea and a concept um, to move through this social system, which is a school or a district, and then that idea reflected in uh, behavior and practices. Um, and that's that plan mechanism. Um, what are the types of things that need to happen in your district or school so that people can implement these things in ways um, that are reflective in the best practices and the concepts? And then lastly, we talk about ACT. Um, how do uh, schools and districts receive high quality feedback? Um, so that they can refine their practices in order to incorporate these things in a sustainable way in the schools. Um, so many times in our schools and our districts, uh, we are implementing things in ways that are not sustainable because we don't understand um, the structures that need to take place. Um, we don't haven't understood what has happened previous to that. Um, and we haven't thought about the types of structures that are ongoing that need to happen. 
in professional development that's not once uh, five years ago when our teacher turnover is 50%. It's an ongoing process at 10, 10, 10%, right, at once a week. So these are the kinds of things that we help our schools think through and districts think through and that act mechanism so that they're able to create a sustainable structure um, for the concept of social emotional learning to be articulated and operationalized through practices so that our students can generalize those skills from the schools to their real lives in order to solve problems in the real world. So you mentioned uh, sustainability, one example being ongoing professional development. What are some of the other things that need to be in place for this to really stick? Yeah, I mean, so we think about um, things like physical visibility, uh, how visible are the concepts of social and emotional learning in your school? Um, we think about things like social norms. How are social norms around social and emotional learning uh, developed? Um, how are they maintained? Um, we think about data. Uh, data is one of the most important aspects of communication. Uh, we don't communicate about what we don't see. And data is a really good example of raising the visibility of social and emotional learning. So what data do we collect on social and emotional learning that drives communication on a consistent basis around the quality of the work that we're doing in terms of organizing our schools around these principles? Um, another thing that we think about is integration. Uh, how are these concepts integrated throughout the, the school environment? We talked about the, the four domains. Um, and then leadership. How well has the leadership articulated a vision of social and emotional learning that is in line with the current mission and vision of the school? Um, and then how well have they resourced that vision so that the, the school or the district can carry out that mission and vision in ways that make sense? So those are some examples of things that we think about around sustainability um, and, and are, are, I would say are um, paramount to moving uh, this from a, a person-centered, I have an idea, uh, you know, the superintendent has their big, big bet to a systemic approach to teaching and learning that allows our students to make the types of growth that they need to do to make in order to move our society forward. So when you talk about these systemic changes and the ways that they're introduced in a district or in your school, we often see um, a lot less now than we did 13 years ago when we started this work, but we have seen resistance from adults less so children, but adults and community members surrounding social emotional learning. Mm -hmm. uh, one common reason we hear that is that social emotional learning is a parent's responsibility and shouldn't be the responsibility of educators. It belongs in the home and not in the school. What do you say to that? And how do you generate buy-in within District 75 and now with your staff and students at Urban Assembly when you're implementing new programs and introducing new ways of approaching teaching and learning how do you generate buy-in and what do you say to that resistance? Yeah, I mean, I think, I think that's, that, that resistance is always an opportunity for, for conversation, right? Um, people have thoughts and needs and they have values. Um, and we need to understand those thoughts and needs and values in order to um, move forward in, in the work that we've talked about. Um, I think one of the things that we need to understand is that every interaction is impacting a student's social and emotional development. Uh, what social emotional learning creates is a language so that we can be explicit as to what those interactions, the outcome should be. So I think the first thing that we need to do is create a really co coherent and explicit set of outcomes that are related to social emotional uh, learning inputs. Um, and so when we say students should have a sense of personal responsibility, uh, when students, students should be able to make responsible decisions, students should be able to resolve conflicts effectively and be aware of their external supports. Um, that explicitness allows uh, parents, community members to say, well, I agree or I disagree, 
And it's rare to me that I've seen people disagree with the idea that students should be able to be aware and understand and manage their needs and emotions responsibly. Um, so I think the first thing here is that have a really clear sense of communication um, that articulates what it is that we're trying to accomplish, uh, what are the uh, procedures and, and inputs that we're using to accomplish those things, um, and how do they align now with the things that you're trying to do at home, right? So tell me about what it means to uh, develop your, your child's social-emotional skills at home. Um, what are the things that you're doing in your community? Schools are part and parcel of the community. I think when we get in trouble is when uh, schools impose themselves on the value systems of the parents and the community around them rather than act in conversation with those things. Um, oftentimes schools are uh, staffed by different classes of educators vis-a-vis um, -vis the community around them. I um, mean, that can create a sense of arrogance. Like, I know what's best. I've been educated in this space. Um, I'm going to tell you what you need to do. Uh, that's not really always appreciated by the parents and the communities who are also investing in our kids in different ways. Um, so I just think when we're thinking about uh, communicating, uh, it's about, tell me how you are um, executing these processes. How do you teach responsibility? How do you teach um, conflict resolution in your home? Um, what are the ways by which uh, you have developed uh, the social skills, like um, a verbal etiquette, like please and thank you? Um, and how, what are the strengths and challenges that I approach? Uh, now, based on that, I can tell you how we're going to be doing this in our school. Um, and we're open to understanding the, the, the links between how you're doing it at home and how we're looking to do it in the school. Um, there are differences sometimes in the processes that we use, um, but there are rarely differences in the outcomes that we're looking to pursue. Um, I've not met a, a parent who says, I don't want my, my child to be responsible. Um, I've not met a parent who says, I don't want my child to be able to make good decisions. Um, I have met people who have said, oh, I don't do it that way. I, I do it this way. But that's a basis for conversation. So mm -hmm. I'd say to you um, and so to our listeners here um, is to focus on those outcomes, understand what we're doing, um, be really explicit in the types of, of outcomes that we're looking for our students to display uh, through their social emotional education. Um, and then talk about this is the way we're doing it. You know, our instructional practices are going to be really focused on uh, turning talks and creating dialogue with, within our young people, not only to create content development in terms of understanding, um, but also to have our young people practice communication skills that they're going to be needing in order to solve problems in the real world. That's the kind of dialogue and discussion that we need to have. Um, and humbleness and humility that we need to approach it in so that our parents understand that they're partners um, and not just uh, um, people who are receiving the, the, the wisdom of our, our school systems. What about resistance among students and staff? Did you encounter resistance either in District 75 or have you within Urban Assembly and how do you generate buy-in? Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of different ways. Um, one of the more important pieces that I think and are important in understanding uh, how to overcome resistance um, is if you look at the mission statement uh, and vision of schools, um, they're often kind of written in, in language that says that students will become critical thinkers that um, are able to problem solve and improve their community. Um, there rarely is a mission statement that says the mission of XYZ Academy is to ensure that uh, Sarah can pass tests uh, at a level that removes us from state accountability, right? Um, However we operationalize that, that's not what they say. Uh, our missions and visions in our schools are often deeply grounded in the notion of 
um, community development uh, and, and problem solving and creating and facilitating the development of young people uh, who can go out in the world and, and be citizens. Um, and starting from there to understanding what are the inputs that are related to that, you told me, based on your mission, that you want young people uh, who can collaborate across difference. Uh, what are these systems in your school that would allow a young person to develop those skills or competencies? Um, from that conversation, um, we can say and have a common understanding as to the importance of social emotional learning and meeting your vision and your mission, not Dave's mission and his vision, but your mission that you put out in your school, you know, when that school was chartered. Um, that's an important piece, right? We have to start from the values of the people who we're working with, not from the values of the people who are trying to implement the, the work. Um, and then from there, I think the same thing with teachers. Uh, what does it mean to be, for you to be a teacher? Let's be really explicit. Help me understand uh, what does it being a teacher mean to you? Um, and then from there, I can understand and I can articulate how uh, modeling social emotional competencies as a teacher um, is important to your identity and, and can shape the ways that students understand how to solve problems. Um, so I would just say that it's just important to listen. Uh, you have to start with the people you're trying to influence. You can't start with what Dave believes and, and what Dave cares about, because uh, that's irrelevant, right? I don't have to change. I, I, really, I really believe in this stuff. Mm -hmm. um, we, need to we need to start with what our constituents care about. What are the things that drive them? How do they believe um, the role of schools should play a part in this work? Um, and then use their thoughts and their ideas uh, to, to shape how we think about the work around social and emotional learning. Well, I think that um, that will be so helpful for folks who are beginning to have that dialogue in their own communities. It's such um, powerful advice. Thank you. Yeah, I mean, Sarah, if we, uh, if we care about perspective taking as a social and emotional principle, right, like we got to act in that way. That's right. I, I just, sometimes it's a funny thing, right? People are like, these kids need to learn how to take perspectives. Like these teachers need to learn how to take perspectives and these principles. Um, and everybody wants other people to learn how to do the thing that they want them to do, um, yeah. but are, are not necessarily uh, always modeling it in, in ways that would reflect the principles that they espouse. Sure, sure. That's a good reminder. Thank you. You've been working directly with SEL initiatives and programs for over 10 years and your experience within the field extends even beyond that. How have you seen social emotional learning shift in the past decade? So going back to uh, Dr. Elias, there was a, uh, I, we were down in Texas and um, we use his um, conceptualization of social emotional learning, um, which is focusing on uh, how we solve problems, um, the intentional process by which we develop um, and, and act in society and, and community. Um, but I remember somebody saying 1997, he's like, that was a long time ago. Uh, I thought this was just a thing that popped up in the last two or three years. That's just the newest kind of fad in, in education. Um, so I tell that story because I, the way that we've seen social emotional learning, I think it started out um, with an emphasis on programs, right? That's where the evidence base was. Like, does this program um, develop the social emotional skills that it says it does? And then, you know, we had uh, Castle put together this wonderful program guide um, that showed all the evidence and said, yes, this, this program works in terms of the evidence. Um, then there was this push on understanding how programs influence long-term outcomes for students, not just today, but like 20 years from now. What, what are the impacts of, of these types of skills? Um, and then we've shifted a little bit uh, in the last uh, four or five years to understand um, not just a program, but how schools are organized. 
how do the way that schools are organized support the social and emotional development of young people? Um, and that's the explicit intentional skill development, but also um, things like your discipline systems, um, things like your extracurricular activities. Um, and then lastly, I think where we're at right now is uh, we're understanding how the concepts of social and emotional learning are playing out across society. Um, when we talk about social awareness, uh, students value the role and um, support of others in the community. These are the types of questions that we're asking ourselves as a country. What type of communities do we want to develop? Um, who is involved in or included in that community? Who is not? Uh, how is the social fabric uh, that links us frayed? And what types of skills and people does it take to put it back together? Um, so I would say over the past kind of 10, 25 years uh, since Castle's been around, um, we've moved from this idea of programs, uh, which are still very, very important um, in terms of creating that skill set, to organizations and schools, to recognizing the role that schools play in producing young people uh, who can contribute to society as a whole. What do you expect or hope for the future of social emotional learning? So I think um, my, my hope, number one, is that uh, these principles of social emotional development um, are part and parcel of how schools are organized, right? Uh, Castle is using a term now that we talk about systemic SEL, um, that everything that we do has a value attached to it. Um, every interaction that we have is reflective or, or grounded in some sort of value that we believe um, in terms of how we want to be. Um, I, I'd like us to organize our schools in ways that reflect the values of social and emotional development. Um, our academics should be grounded in, in these principles that focus on how students interact with themselves and others and solve problems. Um, our society is in one that's going to benefit greatly from students who are able to take those ideas uh, around conflict resolution, around relationship skills, uh, around um, perspective taking, and move us forward, right? So I'd, I'd say I'd like us to focus less on does social and emotional learning improve academics? The answer is yes, right? That, that answer has been established. We're good. We understand that. Um, and move to understanding, like, what role does the social emotional development of our young people play in creating and maintaining the types of communities um, that are inclusive and that allow us uh, to be in relationship with each other in an equitable and respectful way? Um, and I think we're, we're moving in that direction. And I think um, we have a lot of different, uh, we have a lot of different people, um, a lot of different organizations, like, like Move This World. Um, who are invested in that space. And, and I look forward to, to seeing how all these organizations and, and communities and people um, are impacting our teachers and our students to recognize the role of education in our society is not just about solving math problems, but really solving the problems of life. You just gave me chills. If you weren't, oh. if you weren't motivated, if you weren't inspired, if you weren't ready to tackle the day, now you are. Thanks, David Adams. Um, you recently published a policy brief outlining social-emotional considerations for returning to school. Can you yep. walk us through those considerations? Sure. Um, so I talked about four big ideas. Um, the first is creating a safe and predictable learning environment for returning students. Uh, we are in a uh, unpredictable place in our lives. Um, it's unpredictable for parents, it's unpredictable for educators, it's unpredictable, unpredictable for our students. So the, to the greatest extent possible, one of the ways that we reduce the emotional loads on students is to create predictable learning environments to the context that we can, right? We may not be able to predict uh, when the virus will go away, but we can 
um, create a, a predictable schedule for our kids when they are in our spaces. So the first thing that we need to do is invest in the predictability of that space. Students should have a clear sense of what's happening next. Um, they should have a clear sense of when they're returning to schools, if they're using a hybrid model. If they're in a virtual learning space, they should have a clear sense of um, when assignments are due, what type of interactions they can expect from their teachers and their peers, um, and having a clarity of, of expectations in terms of um, what they should expect from school. Right. So I think that that's one of the most important things that we can do to give space for students um, to learn and to go through the social and emotional processes of learning by reducing the, the stressors of an unpredictable learning environment. Um, so that's the first thing I would say that, that we need to do. Um, the second thing we need to do is have uh, our teachers model um, self-awareness and the emotional learning um, or the emotional component of learning. Right, so our teachers need to be really explicit in, in talking about maybe frustrating to engage in this work, maybe frustrating to come back from to not be able to be in school all, all full time. Um, acknowledging those emotions give our students a sense of control over them. Um, and the, the idea that it's not only me who feels this way. It's not only me who's experiencing a sense of disappointment that I can't be in school full time um, or that I have to be completely virtual. So modeling that emotional process from everything from uh, engaging in a task, what does this mean to have to engage a task um, without the robust social systems of support in schools, um, but mostly on your own? What are the emotional aspects of that that students can articulate, understand, and see modeled from their teachers so that it's normalized and they understand how to work through those processes in order to achieve their goals? So the second thing is making sure that we're modeling self-awareness um, and recognizing emotional component of the teaching learning process. Um, the, the third thing uh, we talked about in the, in the paper is uh, being intentional about relationship development. Um, we had the advantage uh, for those of us who were working in a physical space and then uh, converting to a virtual space of taking the relationships we had built in a, visual, in a physical space to the extent that we had over to our virtual space. I mean, we will not have that advantage uh, in, in the new year. Uh, we will have to be intentional about the type of relationship building uh, that allows students to feel safe and in that safety, then push their academic uh, talents, right? Um, when students are in a safe space in terms of the quality of relationships, then they are willing and they're more able to push themselves through the type of academic frustration um, that, that creates learning. So we need to be very explicit about the types of relationships we develop. Spend the time, talk to your students, create the activities, um, open up your year with a getting to know you space, um, and then be consistent in developing those spaces. I think the crazy thing that is um, one of the strange civil linings of being remote is that people have learned how to reach out now to people uh, who they haven't had conversations with in a long time because they're like, oh, I can just have this remote conversation. Um, and that intentionality where you don't have the ability to seize people and develop that relationship throughout the day um, needs to be incorporated into how teachers are planning for their lessons um, and all the scoping sequences across the year. So uh, the third thing I'd say is be intentional about building relationships, understand the difference between online relationship building and in-person relationship building, um, and make sure that we have created the structures online so that we have meaningful group activities that reveal a sense of self and bond us together as a class. And that, uh, lastly, is um, this, this idea of cooperating and uh, teaching and creating instructional approaches that focus on cooperation. One of the things that I would hate to happen in the context of online learning 
um, is that we've lost the importance um, of and richness of collaborating to create content um, knowledge, right? That the interactions between kids is what creates the understanding of concepts and ideas. Um, and so there are a lot of different ways that we can do that, um, but we cannot lose the importance of putting kids in groups, um, teaching them how to interact, uh, and using that interaction to build um, uh, understanding of, of the content and the concept that we're trying to deliver. And all of this obviously is um, predicated on the importance of teaching explicit social emotional skills so that students are explicitly understanding how to recognize themselves um, in the space, how to interact with themselves, how to interact with others, and use those skills to solve problems. So those are the four plus one um, uh, recommendations from the policy brief. Um, and I'm looking forward to seeing how uh, schools and districts can enact that to ensure that the social emotional aspects of learning are prioritized uh, when they reopen. David, we're going to need to have you back for a whole conversation just on those four recommendations. Uh, there's so much that we could unpack, but I am curious when you talk about the intentionality of building relationships online and offline, do you have like two tips or hacks or recommendations of things that um, we can do? intentionally in person or online? Yes, actually I do. I'm gonna try and do this off the top of my head. So we talked about <laughs> it. Relationship building is about the three C's, right? Um, so the first thing that we need to do is communicate uh, uh, with clarity. So we should understand, the clarity is about expectations of being clear, right? Students should understand what they should expect from this environment. Um, Teachers should, should explain what is expected of students. We should have a clear understanding and a common lens by which we are um, understanding the space and time. So relationships are about, number one, clarity, right? How are we going to be in relationship with each other, in with each other? That's the question that we should be able to answer. Um, the next C that we think about is um, consistency, right? So now we understand what what it takes to be in relationship with each other. Uh, how consistent are we in being those things that we've expected, right? Um, nothing breaks up a relationship quicker than it being inconsistent. Whether it's the mailman, right? Saying, I'm gonna deliver this at six o'clock or three o'clock probably on your phone. And you're like, oh, 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 it's five o'clock. I don't trust that guy anymore, right? Mm -hmm. <laughs> He's probably having a tough time out there, but that consistency is important. If we say we're gonna do something, we need to do sure. Um, and then lastly, communication, right? That's that last C. Um, when clarity is uh, unclear or consistency breaks down, it's our communication that allows us to reestablish those first two Cs of clarity and consistency. Hey, what happened? Uh, oh, you know, uh, it, it was hot outside and I took a break. Um, I wasn't able to get here. For our students, when, when things break down in terms of consistency and clarity, our teachers should be proactive. Hey guys, I know I told you we'd be done by three o'clock today. Um, we're not going to make it. Here are the reasons why. I hope that, uh, you know, we can move forward in this and it doesn't impact our ability to be in relationship in the future. So the relationship is, and, and we think we think about it in those three C's. Uh, we think about clarity. Um, we think about communication. Um, and we think about consistency. So helpful. Thank you. You talk about self-awareness and um, understanding the heightened state of emotions that we're all in. That's really hard given um, the inherent stresses in this job and now doing this work in a pandemic with all the uncertainty. How yeah. do you, David, um, take care of yourself? How do you stay self-aware? How do you stay socially, emotionally well? 
Well, so to be fair, you know, I was a big basketball player. Um, I'd go out and play basketball with my dad and my brother and uh, a couple of my friends every week, at least two or three times a week, um, not only as a form of exercise, but also as, uh, as a way to kind of manage myself. Um, and I haven't had that opportunity. So um, I've shifted over, I shifted over a little bit to, to running. I, I am in the military for about 18 years. Um, and uh, I have some experience with running a lot. I've decided that I hate it as much as I've hated it for my 18 years. Uh, so I've gone back to bike riding as a, as a way to kind of uh, actively kind of manage my stress. Um, I think when we think about self-awareness, it's about mapping um, our intentions to our actions, right? Uh, just being aware of your intentions. What am I trying to accomplish in this time and space? Um, and then thinking, am I doing that? Am I acting within my intent? Um, and, and I think that when we are aware of our intentions, um, then we can be better at doing the things that we want to do, um, in the way that we want to do them. Uh, so I am intent on, on staying physically active. Um, that's, that's an important aspect of the way that I manage myself and my emotions. Um, and so I've really tried to think about different ways that allow me to be physically active, um, while keeping safe in, in the context of social distancing. Mm -hmm. Um, so yeah, that's been a blessing. Uh, I love to be around people. I've been doing a lot of podcasts and, and webinars, uh, to try and kind of like, uh, help, help me stay in conversation with people. That's something that's important to me. I, I really enjoy, um, learning from people. Um, so that's been another thing that I've been using to, to help me to, to cope with some of the, um, the stressors that are part and parcel of the experience that we're having. But all in all, uh, I am blessed to have a wonderful, um, supportive family. Um, my kids have been great. Uh, so what you don't know how old, is- how old, how old are your kids? How old are your kids? Seven and eight, seven okay. and eight years old, Elijah and Isaiah. Um, when I'm doing these podcasts or, or doing webinars, they're uh, two rooms down from me and they are uh, being quiet um, and managing their own kind of uh, uh, sense of who they are uh, in order so that I can help um, others kind of develop their their skills in this space. So, you know, shout out to my kids, Elijah and Isaiah, for <laughs> being really responsible um, and helping me to, to be in this space in this time with you. That's gorgeous. Do they understand you explain to them what you're doing and, um, and why they need to be quiet for the next 60 minutes? No music. Yeah, no, absolutely. Uh, we talk about this uh, responsibility. I, I show the videos back. They love it when I shout them out. So like, uh, if I can, if I could take. Are you going to do that one video. more time? Do that one more time. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Shout out to my sons Elijah and Isaiah for showing responsibility uh, and helping me to help others. Um, but yeah, absolutely. You know, uh, we have a, a book that's out: uh, the emotional, uh, the practical guide to emotional intelligence with Dr. David Caruso and Lisa Rees. Um, I show them the books that I write and the articles that I write uh, uh, in order to help them understand that uh, I'm trying to be responsible to the field. Um, and, and I hope they can help me be responsible, help them be responsible to, to me. Um, but I, I have been very blessed because they, uh, understand what's happening and they do their utmost to, to give me the space and time to have conversations like this with people like you. Mm. Well, they're so lucky to have you as their father. They really are. Thank you. Um, David, this has been such a robust discussion. Thank you for sharing your time with us, with our listeners. We have so much to learn from you. And um, let's go ahead and close in the way that we always do to allow us to center ourselves and ground ourselves before we move on to whatever is next, whatever we're running to. Um, so let's just uh, close with three breaths. Let's take this first breath for the power of social emotional learning 
in supporting us and those around us. Breath in. Breath out. Let's take this second breath for this committed group of educators and leaders and advocates and parents and artists who are championing this work in our lives and communities. Breath in. Breath out. And let's take this third and final breath for ourselves. May our days be meaningful and our nights peaceful. Breath in and out. Thank you so much, David. Uh, so appreciate your time. Thank you, Sarah. It's been a pleasure to be with you. Thank you for tuning into the SarahCast today. I loved spending this time with you. Before you go, join me for one final breath and hold in your mind a word or phrase that you are taking away from this conversation. Breathe in. And breathe out. If you liked this episode, don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you listen to podcasts. You can also find all of our episodes on movethisworld.com. The SarahCast, Conversations in Social-Emotional Learning, is produced by the Move This World Audio Network. Move This World supports social-emotional learning for students, their families, and their school communities through evidence-based curricula rooted in creative expression and movement. You can find additional resources to support SEL in your district, school, classroom, or home on our website, movethisworld.com. I'll see you next time.